Well, thank you, choir. Thank you, Brother Donald. Let's, uh, let's pray as we begin this morning. Father God, thank you for your word. We pray that you will open our ears, open our eyes to hear it, that we may grow to be more like you as we see more of your glory. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17, verses 1 through 13 is our passage this morning. And in the last chapter, we saw how Jesus asked the disciples who they thought that he was. Who did the crowd say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, he said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that was true. That's who Jesus is. He is the Messiah, the Christ, the coming King. And Jesus has, since that declaration, he's been really explaining to the disciples what that means. right? We saw last week how Peter thought that he had certain expectations about what Jesus would do. Jesus said, no, I'm not coming as a conquering king. I'm coming as a suffering servant. That's what it means to be the Messiah. Well, here in this passage this morning, Jesus continues to reveal what it means that he is the Messiah. He continues to give the disciples this full picture of who he is. And so let's read this morning from Matthew 17. The word of the Lord says this, And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will Make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? He answered, Elijah does come, but and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. So in this passage, we see really a specific way that Jesus reveals himself to be the Messiah. How do we know that he is the Messiah? Well, he is transfigured. He's Transform. That's what transfigured means. It's just a word that means transform. He's changed. The Greek word is metamorphose. You might hear the word metamorphosis in that. It's the idea that he's changed before them. He's, he's no longer just 
this uh, person in lowly form, but he reveals his glory to them. We see how he's changed, right? He's, his face shines like the sun. His clothes become as white as snow, as white as light. In verse 2, we see that. And really, we have seen throughout the Bible how when God shows up in his glory, this is what he looks like. We read one passage this morning in Daniel 7, how when the Lord appeared, when Daniel saw this vision of the Ancient of Days, these same descriptions, he saw God on his throne dressed in white, right? We see in the book of Revelation, later as we see this vision that John has of Jesus, how Jesus is clothed with a robe and a golden sash around his chest, right? He has hair as white as snow, he has eyes like a flame of fire, his feet are like burnished bronze, and his face... It's a face that's shining like the sun in its full strength, Revelation 1 says. This is, this is what Jesus looks like in all his glory. And so when we see the similarities between Revelation and how Jesus looks there, we see the similarities to here. It really helps us to see that this is what the glorious Jesus looks like. As he takes the kingdom, as he takes his throne, this is what he looks like in all his power and this is really why some people we didn't touch on this last week but at the end of verse chapter 16 and verse 28 it says that there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the son of man coming in his kingdom because of this glorious transfiguration of jesus a lot of commentators have said well this is this is part of what jesus is talking about there he's He's not saying people are going to live forever, but he's saying, I will reveal my glory to them. And in all these chapters where we see the transfiguration in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the next, the thing that precedes it is this prophecy that there will be some standing here who will not taste death. And so it's like Matthew is trying to put these verses together. He's saying, this is what the coming king looks like in all his glory. But as we think about this transfiguration, this transformation, right, this isn't the only time that we see this word. Metamorphosis is used several places in the Bible. Often it's used of us, of what's supposed to happen of us, that we are supposed to be transformed and changed in this same way. We think of 2 Corinthians 3.18, where we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed same word into the same image the image of god the glory of god from one degree of glory to another this isn't just something that happened to jesus this is something that happens to every christian we're made a new creature a new creation and then god is continually working on us until we are glorious just like jesus is here. That's why we read in Romans 12 that we're not supposed to be conformed to the world, but transformed, same word, changed to be more like Jesus, to think like him, to have our minds renewed like he is. 
And that's really the goal. That's the goal of Christianity. We look at the glorious Jesus and we are meant to shine like that, to display that kind of glory. That's why Paul says in Romans, not a verse we think about a lot, but he says in Romans chapter 2, verse 7, he says to seek glory. Paul tells us, seek glory. Not the glory of ourselves, not exalting ourselves, but this kind of glory, the glory that Jesus displays. Seek that kind of glory to display that in your life. Jesus is transformed. Not only do we see Jesus transformed in this passage, we see this glorious picture of him. But we see other people there as well, right? We see Elijah and Moses show up. They talk to Jesus. Like I said, this is not the only place we see this recorded. The, the books of Mark and Luke also talk about the transfiguration. And Luke actually tells us a little bit of what they were talking about. They were talking about the upcoming departure of Jesus. Actually, the literal word is the exodus of Jesus which carries a lot of significance if you just think through the storyline of the Bible. But that helps us to just understand that as Moses and Elijah show up, they're thinking about what's coming up for Jesus. Just like Moses had been used by God to deliver the people out of Egypt, to bring them into the promised land, here is Jesus who is going to do this same thing, not to deliver from a a literal slavery or a literal geography, but to deliver people out of slavery of sin and bring them into the rest of God. The same thing for Elijah. Elijah was not just a prophet who brought renewal, but he was the prophet who was foretold that he would precede the coming of Jesus. He would show up and prepare the way for the coming Lord, for the coming Messiah. And so here we see these two people come and talk to Jesus. It's further showing us that this is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah that was prophesied. And this passage reminds us that Jesus is not just anyone, right? He's not just anyone, but he's Lord, and he's someone that we must submit to and follow ourselves as we see this glorious picture of god we must fall down before him and serve him and that's really the reminder not just for us we see the disciples doing this as well we uh we might be tempted to focus on jesus and elijah and moses but peter won't let us forget that he's there as well peter has a moment a peter moment in this passage he doesn't really understand exactly what's going on, but he feels the need to say something. And so he says, Lord, it's good that we're here. Let's make a tent, uh, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And really, that doesn't make any sense at all, <laughs> what he says. Um, some commentators have tied it to the Feast of Booths. The, the Israelites were supposed to make these tents and stay in them, and that would remind them that the Lord had brought them out of Egypt and remind them of deliverance. And so maybe Peter has this on his mind. But really, as we read this, we just get the feeling that Peter just doesn't know what's going on. He just feels the need to say something. And so this is what comes out. It's not really something very thoughtful or very helpful in the moment. And that's um, 
probably not something that's fully unique to Peter, right? I'm sure none of us have ever uh, said something that wasn't fully thought out or very helpful, but sometimes we're just in a situation and we, whether it's the long pause or an awkward situation, we just feel the need to say something, right? And sometimes it's not uh, the most helpful thing. It doesn't work out well. Well, Peter has that moment here. He's just He's the relatable disciple, right? He's a reminder that that we're not complete yet, right? We believe that Jesus is Lord. We've come to understand that, but we haven't fully learned and understood everything we need to know yet. There's still growth to do. And so Peter interrupts Jesus. He uh, tells him, it's good for us to be here. I want to make this tent. But really, Peter is just not understanding he's not giving Jesus the honor that's due to him. And that's really what it comes down to here. Peter is not honoring Jesus like he should. Uh, we read in the other Gospels that record this, different things, but Matthew decides not to tell us what Moses and Elijah were talking about. That's not here in Matthew. He decides not to interpret for us why they've shown up, but he does decide to tell us certain things. He tells us, that Peter said this, and then he tells us that God interrupted Peter. He didn't even wait for Peter to finish. He interrupted him and makes this statement. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So Matthew wants to drive home this point that Peter is not giving Jesus the honor that is due to him. It's like he sees Moses and he sees Elijah and he understands how important they are, right? We could argue that Moses is probably the most important character in the Old Testament. I mean, there's Abraham, there's Moses, and there's David, right? They are the great figures of the Old Testament. Elijah is uh, not a scrub either, right? He called down fire from heaven. He was taken up in a chariot of fire. These are great heroes of the faith. Obviously, Peter is... Uh, kind of in awe that they're here, and rightfully so. But they're not on the same level as Jesus. right? Even these heroes of the faith that Peter respects and wants to honor, he's forgotten that Jesus is still here. Jesus is far above them all. And God reminds him of that very strongly by interrupting him. He tells him, this is my son. And that's not something that just happens to Peter, right? We have the tendency to also have heroes of the faith. And that's not a bad thing, right? We can think of people who have had a great impact on our life or throughout church history, right? They're not perfect, but they have followed God well. Uh, you can name all the big names. Billy Graham, uh, John Piper. You can go back. Charles Spurgeon. You can think about George Whitfield. You can go all throughout church history and name all these big names. And it's not wrong to listen to them or to, to pay attention to what they teach or to thank God for how he's worked through them. But we must not get distracted and elevate those people in our minds. But remember that they are people that are pointing us to Jesus. They're like a telescope that's meant to magnify Jesus as we listen to them, as we hear them teach. And so the glory doesn't go to them, it goes to Jesus. This is the same 
struggle we see all the way back in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians. The Corinthian church, you remember they had factions. Some would say, I like Peter, I follow Peter. I follow Paul. Some said, I follow Apollos, right? They were all split in who they thought was better to listen to or a better teacher, right? But in doing that, in exalting and raising up these people, they were at the same time diminishing Jesus. They weren't giving him the glory that was due to him. And that happens in churches today. It's a phenomenon that you can see well, sometimes when a pastor leaves a church, pastors leave churches for lots of different reasons, some good, some bad. Uh, but when a pastor leaves a church, sometimes you'll see a lot of people from that church also leave and go somewhere else. Again, members leave churches for lots of reasons, sometimes good, sometimes bad. But it is interesting to note that if the church is healthy, if they're trying to follow the Bible and hear the Bible taught, that it would make sense that if a new pastor comes, that most of the people would stay because they are there not just for that person, not just for their personality, but for the, the teaching, the word of God and how God is working through the church. But that's not always the case. Sometimes we can be more attached to a, a personality, to uh, a person behind the pulpit than we are to the person who hung on the cross. And we must make sure that we search our hearts and uh, not let that be the case. That we exalt not people, but we exalt Jesus, even as we are helped by people to follow him better and to know him better. And so the focus of our faith must not be on heroes, but must be on Jesus whenever we don't do that. We're in sin. We're sinning. And we need to hear the voice of God speak to us just like he spoke to the disciples. This is my beloved son. Jesus is my son. He pleases me. Listen to him. That's what the disciples heard. They heard this voice and they were terrified. Right? They hear God speaking from heaven and they are terrified by his voice. It's, it's kind of like when the Israelites were around Mount Sinai. They heard the voice of God and they were terrified by it. They didn't want to be anywhere close. They wanted Moses to go up on the mountain. They were terrified by God speaking to them. That's consistent with what we see as God speaks. And here the disciples, they fall down. They're terrified as they hear God speak this. But what does Jesus do? He comes and touches them and tells them not to be afraid. And he lifts them up and they look up and they only see Jesus. And so when we find ourselves sinning in this way, when we have not exalted Jesus like we should, for whatever reason, whether we're following people or whether we're following a certain uh, way of life that has gotten in the way of Jesus, whatever it may be, whenever we have exalted anything wrongly and we're not exalting Jesus and we have sinned and we hear the conviction of the Lord, the word of the Lord speaking to us and we realize our sin, Jesus does this same thing to us. He comes, he's not left us, he's close to us. He comes and he lifts us up. He focuses us back on him. 
and that our sin is not going to cast us out of his presence. He's not going to leave us, but he is still there. He is still there being merciful to us. He's already dealt with our sin on the cross, and he offers us grace in that moment and reminds us to turn our eyes upon Jesus. And so that's really a fitting way for this mountaintop experience to end, that they look up and only Jesus is there. They see Jesus, the one that they're supposed to focus on, the one they're supposed to listen to. And really, we could we could probably stop there. That's a sermon in itself. It's a short sermon, uh, but it is a sermon. And it would be nice if we were able to stay on the mountaintop like the disciples were. They were on the mountaintop, right? We love those experiences to get to see the glory of God. One day we will be there and we will stay there forever. That's what we look forward to, we hope in. But the disciples didn't stay on the mountain. (laughs) They had to come down, right? Life went on. There was still more for them to learn. As they come down the mountain, there was still more work for them to do. Jesus was not done with his task yet. And so the disciples come down the mountain and they have a question. Right? They've seen the glory of God. They realize he's the Christ, but there's still more for them to understand. And so they ask this question, well, what is it about Elijah? We've just seen Elijah. There's a prophecy about Elijah. He's supposed to come first. So what's that about? They ask Jesus. And Jesus gives them this framework for understanding this prophecy that describes their their right in saying that Elijah comes first. He prepares the way of the Lord. But it wasn't literally talking about Elijah. It wasn't literally talking about him. Sometimes that's just helpful for us to say out loud, right? This was not a, a prophecy about the literal person Elijah coming, but it was a prophecy about a person like Elijah in the spirit of Elijah coming. It was a what you might call a typological prophecy. Someone who was like Elijah, the same type of person. He was a messenger, one who would prepare the way for Jesus, just like Elijah did. And we see that happening in the person of John the Baptist. And so Jesus helps the disciples understand more and more that this is not just about him, but is about the Bible really and how it's confirmed. This is not just about Elijah and whether he's come, but this is about the trustworthiness of God's word. That it is playing out just like he said it would. And we understand that Peter in the moment, even the disciples here as they ask questions, they didn't understand perfectly what God had uh, revealed to them. They didn't yet understand the fullness of what it meant that Jesus was the Messiah. They still had more to learn. But as Peter went through life, as he thought back about this, as he studied the Bible more, he came to understand this more and more. And he writes about this experience. And this is where we'll end. We'll think about Peter's experience and what he thought about it. In 2 Peter, Peter writes about this mountaintop experience, the transfiguration of Jesus. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. He says that we do not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. 
We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. And so Peter, as he thought back about this experience, he realized that this was Jesus really confirming everything that had been prophesied about the Messiah. He had taught him about the Messiah. He had shown him what it meant to be the Messiah. And here Jesus was fulfilling all of this, that he was the son of man. He was the fulfillment of that prophecy in Daniel chapter 7. He was the son of David, the fulfillment of the prophecy in 2 Samuel 7, the one who would come and reign on this throne eternally. And that this glorious transfiguration of Jesus was meant to show us that Jesus is the one who fits these prophecies. He's the one who fulfills all of this. He is the Messiah, the King coming in his glory. And so Peter realized this later in life. He realized this showed me that Jesus was the Messiah, and he came to this conclusion. He came to this application. If this confirms the prophecies, the word of God, then it meant that you can trust what you read. You can trust the prophecies. You can trust the word of God that Jesus will reign forever, that he's coming back, that he will return in this glorious state and be the king and set up his kingdom. Because he's already shown that. He's already revealed that. And so Peter says to hold on to the word of God, knowing that we've already seen the glory of Jesus. And that will keep us and hold us until he comes again, that we can trust everything that God has said. So this is Jesus as he is changed before us to show us his glory. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us, that we have seen and been able to behold your glory, that you revealed to us the glory of the Father, full of grace and truth. Even in this passage, you are not just the glorious one who comes to punish sin, but the one who comes to Remind us of your mercy and lift us up after we have sinned and turn our eyes back to you. We thank you that you offer us this grace and mercy in our lives. God, may we keep our eyes focused on you more, see more of your glory, that we may be changed to be more like you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.